we have the ability to remember things for one reason. We have this hardware in our brain that's there to protect us from making the same mistakes again. But how many of those mistakes are putting us in danger? How many of those events are just false fears? How many of those events are really dangerous? And do we have the ability to overcome those events in our life? Welcome to episode 2 of the Forge Podcast. My name is Ryan Gilbert. We have this ability to absorb information through our senses and through our intuition. Experiences that we have in our lives things that we absorb, things that we remember. Of course we remember the good times. Of course we remember the the, the feelings of, of feeling really, really good. We also remember those feelings of feeling really bad, really low and defeated. How many of those events are driving the way that you live your life? How many of those events have you pushed down so far below the surface you think that they're not there anymore and how many times have those feelings and emotions surfaced at a strange time a fear that you can't put a pin on where exactly it is or where it came from how many times do you face your fears how many times do you look for those fears it's we don't really know a lot about it of course because we're not taught about it. Sure, we experience traumatizing events, and everyone's experienced a traumatizing event. But how, how many times do we willingly go in towards those feelings, willingly go in towards those moments, and seek out the place where that fear really resides? When we look at a lot of our own behaviors, it's pretty easy to, to pinpoint where some where fear sometimes comes from. Or look at your own behaviours and think, well, I picked that up from this thing that happened, or this event, or from being around this person a lot. As well as, of course, the, the great feelings we have. The ones of being liberated, feeling free, loving, caring enjoyment of being around other people, the ability to appreciate beautiful scenery, nature, smells, all through our senses and through our intuition as well. It's something that I'm really interested in because it's something that after doing my own analysis on myself and and putting myself into a state of whenever I feel some kind of fear or anxiety or depression really leaning into that going into that place where it comes from and that is a, it is an uncomfortable place it is a it is a strange feeling and it does go against our entire nervous system that twisting in the guts that feeling in, in your body somewhere or in your head that this isn't this isn't the right thing to do your body's telling you not to go and do that again remember the first time I 
really uh, witnessed that in someone else. It was when I was hanging out with a, a really good friend of mine, still is, um, and his stepdad had been in a had been in a car accident when he was quite young. So in his later life, when when I'd met him, um, he didn't want to drive a car. He didn't want to learn how to drive a car. Didn't have his license. And it was just so it was so interesting to me because I'd already known people who have been in car accidents. I'd known people who had been in house fires, people who had been attacked, beaten within an inch of their life, but somehow they keep going. For some reason they chose to, to keep on living their life. Whereas others experience an event and really steer away from it. I don't see it as an act of cowardice or an act of um, living in fear. But again, everyone has these different moments in their life. One of the first moments that everyone has in their life, that feeling of rejection, of not understanding the world, is when we're first weaned off our mothers, when when we're really, really young. That first feeling of being taken off the teat, having that connection with our mothers, and really being under, and uh, really being unsure about that whole situation. Sure, we're, we're we're babies. Our brains are still in the early stages of development. We aren't able to understand spoken word. Yet it was a, it's a traumatizing experience. Of course, as we get older, as our brain develops and we're able to recognize patterns, communicate, speak to others, of course, that we really do start to appreciate the situations that we get ourselves into or that are put upon us. And the work that I do, helping people to understand what meditation is, and how to achieve a, a different state of mind, a different frame of thinking that's different to the, the perception or reality that we get in from our senses. It's always, it's noticeable when someone doesn't want to go right into that. They start to feel something coming up from the surface. A really common thing for a lot of people especially in our, our times and our in our culture for the last several hundred years, we start to feel feelings of emotion, such as feelings of regret, feelings of shame, feelings of fear. When we and we're all guilty of it, doing everything that we can to sedate those feelings, to push them down, to suppress those emotions. And sure that uh, those feelings go away for a, an amount of time but of course they resurface it's like holding a, a ball or a balloon underneath the water it's going to rise to the surface so in something that I've noticed in, in a lot of people I'm helping to find a bit of calmness rid themselves of a bit of anxiety understand their own programming so the things that float to the surface are always the biggest issues one of my biggest issues that uh, that surfaced 
recently when I was uh, when I first started getting into breath work was uh, was anxiety. So again, uh, my anxiety was something really I didn't really understand. I didn't really know how to define it and put it into terms because I'd never looked at it because I'd always pushed it away. That function of fear, that function of uh, I guess avoiding discomfort, taking yourself out of that situation, moving away from the danger, that's an instinctive function. You only have to look at a cat or a dog, especially dogs. We all know dogs, or we've all met dogs who have been beaten before, or are gun shy, afraid of people. And why is that? Well, it's, 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 it's pretty obvious, isn't it? A dog that won't let you pat it or won't let you come near it until you build enough trust until the dog really trusts you to come near it. That's because there's an imprint in that dog's brain, and we're no different. We've all had events and moments in our life that have caused us to to not trust, to move away from discomfort because we, we don't want to be hurt again. And that's the whole point of having memory. That memory refires some, some circuitry in the brain our neurological circuitry in the brain and says hey don't do that or that's going to happen to you again you remember what happened last time of course when, it, when we think about an event like a car crash or a near miss of any of any type of course we don't want to relive that again the body's telling us that we didn't do too well when we uh, when we went down that path last time that's real danger real threats to you Things that our body is hardwired and designed to be able to keep us safe from. And in the different books that I've read and movies and just looking at culture and people I know, it's always so interesting to me to be able to relate that back to how things were for the human race 100,000, 150,000 years ago, long before written word long before established languages and established um, orders and societies and cultures when we were really just another animal in the animal kingdom slightly bigger brain slightly different methodology to how we do things of course we've got smaller lungs and we're not as fast as the fastest animals out there we don't have the best eyesight we don't have the best hearing we don't have the best sense of smell we aren't the best, we aren't naturally armed that well. Our teeth aren't made for biting people. Our teeth are made for, made for biting and chewing through flesh, as well as uh, fruits and vegetables. We have the, our hands and fingers, our digits. But we're not made for fighting and killing. We're pretty good at it because we have bigger developed brains than, than, than all of the other animals combined. We have the ability to perceive things. Of course a lot of animals have the, some of these features too but nothing close to what we have. Our built-in hardware and our software programming inside of the brain. These abilities gave us the power to, to outsmart our prey. It's outsmart those who are chasing us outsmart the animal who might be chasing us 
to be able to use tools, to be able to think of a cunning plan. We can't sprint down the fastest animal and kill it, but we can chase it for a long time and tire the thing out. One of the things we had to worry about back then, and I say we, because we're all built up of those people. Our DNA, who we are right now, you, the person listening to, to me speak, you're made up of hundreds of thousands of years of survival functions. What did they have to worry about a hundred thousand years ago? Freezing to death, for sure. Drowning. People who are out fearing out at sea. Other people trying to kill you. Bigger animals than you, with bigger teeth and sharper claws, and a better, a better, uh, a better body for speed and for killing than us. Running out of food, basic survival, not having shelter, freezing to death, people in the colder climates, running out of water, people in the hotter climates. All things that we all know are, are pretty terrifying to, to consider. We don't have to worry about a lot of that stuff now, though, do we? You can go and buy food in, in just about any part of town. You can find shelter in a, in a friend's house or a family's house or in some cases underneath a bridge. You can find warm clothing You've got access to water. You've got the freedom to be able to move around in your country without someone attacking you. Of course that threat's always going to be there. It's a human nature. But really considered, you know, compared to 100,000, 200,000 years ago, we have a lot more freedoms and we have a lot more things that allow us to survive unchallenged. But with that, what are the things that we stress out about now? My phone's gone flat. I don't have the best phone. Why is he looking at me like that? Man, this food tastes like shit. I hate pumpkin. Oh, I don't like the, the that colour. I don't like the colour of that house. I don't like what that person believes in. You shouldn't read that book. You shouldn't watch that YouTube video, that makes me really angry and upset. We went from having a, a handful of really, really important things to worry about, things that threaten your survival, to worrying about things that don't. It's pretty easy to get wrapped up in all of these micro stresses and micro problems because we have so many of them. There are so many things that we can be angry about, things that can make us sad, things that change our emotions at the flip of a hat, and things that really don't fucking matter. But at the end of the day, they do matter, because if it's enough to get lodged in your brain and stay there, then there's a, there's, there's a reason to explore that and go into that as well. That's why, of course, when we go and step out into the, onto a hiking track, we'll go out into the woods, go down to the river for a swim, go out to a lake, just to go out, just to get outside, to go back into nature. That's why there is that calming effect of being under the trees. 
that's the reason I started hunting. That's the reason I joined the army when I was 17. And that's the reason I still do it, why I still go out and get out. And I'm always trying to bring someone out with me. We all know we have closer moments with people when there's less technology around. And that's one of the reasons why I started doing what I do. So when we look at all these things that we stress about, the physical world things, yeah, okay, of course. Yeah, we have these we have these things that we worry about and that we stress out about. And yeah, it, we all know it's pretty simple to get on top of a lot of those things. But what about the other stresses? What about the other fears that haven't manifested themselves into reality, that haven't really occurred? Having that argument in the shower that you didn't that you that you were having previously that day having an argument with someone in your head that you've never even met before worrying about events that haven't happened yet ridiculous things ridiculous events even matters of survival and fighting to the death living in this state of false reality as soon as we close our eyes this is the power of manifestation. Again, we've all experienced it. Placing a lot of your thought and intention into a certain event or a certain experience. And when that manifests itself, it becomes apparent to you pretty fast that there is a, there is a force beyond your body that does these things. So I'm sure we can all think back to an event in our life. I want you to do that now. Just think back to an event in your life that changed your perception. One of the biggest events. So for a lot of people, it's going to involve death. At any time, when you're sitting there consciously, awake, in a calm, resting state, you're absorbing 400 million bits of information. In states of panic or in states of fear or terror, of course that changes, that number's going to change. But what your reality is made up of, what you perceive reality, where you're sitting right now, where you're lying down, where you're driving your car, you're absorbing about 2,000 of those bits. So how many of those bits of your reality are really there? If you think the, the point of meditation, why I teach it and why I do it so much, because it allows you to just step out of, the, of reality for a minute and go into something far bigger and far greater than that. So when it comes to facing your fears and facing trauma, it's something that we don't often like to do. Because again, we get that, that surge of emotion, those feelings that come up and tell us to, to go away from that. So one of the things that usually happens when we're going into a, a breathwork practice or a meditation practice, of course those things, those memories, those events, and those emotions start to come up to the surface. Because it's pretty hard to ignore those things when we are distracted by reality. And that's one of the things, that's one of the tools that a lot of us are taught. Is to just go out and do something. Change your mind. Move on to the next thing. Push those emotions down. 
course, there is such a thing as false positivity. And of course, that functions there. When you're driving down the road and a car pulls into your lane coming your way, that system kicks into place pretty fucking fast for a reason. There's no positively thinking through that situation. Your, your body needs to react. Of course, it, it fires up all of those circuits. It fires up your sympathetic nervous system, telling you, hey, put on those brakes, swerve around that car, but you need to do something about this right now. Again, that's that animal system, that animal function that's that's in place to keep us alive, especially in events like that. Whether it's a car coming your way, a tiger jumping out of you, out at you in the jungle, or getting into more of the emotional events. So of course a lot of the emotional events that occurred in our life, we don't often spend a lot of time going back into those, especially when they involve a lot of hardship. The very definition of PTSD or the, the super simplified uh, version of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic injury, whatever you want to call it, the, the name changes but again the feelings are the same. So an event that was so powerful that you weren't able to absorb every single piece of that information. It was so large and so powerful and so defined that you weren't able to process it all in that instant. Of course this is really common amongst soldiers, amongst firefighters, police officers, medical personnel and of course amongst trauma victims, women who have been in domestic violence, people who have had a, a child uh, pass away, the, the loss of a, a pet, anything that's so powerful and overwhelming for us, it creates a, a strong lasting memory inside of us. And then I think in our, the tragedy, the real tragedy is that those events can create who you are and it's there hasn't, there hasn't been a lot of discussion on how to deal with that. Something I'm seeing right now during this lockdown that we're all in is a lot of people are sedating themselves, trying to escape from the reality, living in survival, just trying to get this day over and done with so hopefully we get closer to the next day and get closer to being let out of the houses. Not being willing to to face those emotional fears and, and face those things within ourselves that keep us in that state. I use this analogy to describe to a, a friend of mine I was taking through some breath work. The more you face these fears, the more you go into what it is, you start to feel that emotion come up, lean into it and, and focus on it. Where is it? Where did it come from? Why is it there? Of course it feels uncomfortable. No one likes being in an uncomfortable place. But the analogy I used was there's a, there are a lot of women who don't like wearing a bikini. Pretty pretty self-explanatory, really. Not a lot of self-confidence. Maybe a lot of comparison of your comparing your body to another's. 
more you do something, the better you get at it. The more you face those fears and spend time confronting that, spend time in that uncomfortable and awkward position, the more used to it you become. And it's the same for the people in those professions, especially from the military, fire service, police, ambulance, any medical personnel. The first time you're in real danger or perceived danger, it's terrifying. It locks you into that moment because you need to be present in order to keep yourself alive. The more time you spend around that, the more time you spend around dead bodies, the more time you spend in action or in a fight, the more time you spend in that uncomfortable situation, in that moment, the more you get used to it. You can learn a lot of things, you can learn a lot of amazing things in those moments. It's also very easy to become complacent. So one of the things that I've always advocated when I started teaching um, breathwork and meditation is to go back into those moments. You're not really there. It's a memory. It's there to serve you. It's there to keep you alive and keep you safe. What are you going to do when you are alive and safe? When you're alive and safe and you're not in danger? Are you going to stay living in fear of that moment? Of course, it's, it takes a bit of work to get through these past events and through that software and hardware that's installed into your brain. We know that ignoring it and pushing it down, pushing it to the side, or pouring alcohol on it, doesn't remove it, though, does it? And we know that. So how do we get how do we get these things out of our bodies? One of the ways is to go in towards that. Of course, depending on the on your medical conditions, you might want to do that with someone or in some professional guidance or some professional help. But at the end of the day, there's only one way to get confident, and that's by doing it. So one of the events that really changed my life, that really created a, uh, a bit of a hole for me, was uh, in 2007, I went to East Timor. Um, so I'd been there for, I was, um, how old was I? I was 19, I turned 19 over there. So when we went over to East Timor, we got put into, we were in Dili, this is when I was in, um, Bravo Company in second first, this is in 2007. We went over to East Timor as part of the International Stabilisation Force. So we went over there with the, um, it was mostly the Australians here, there were also the UN, uh, the UN police, Portuguese, um, uh, special police were over there as well. So we're, we were really doing a lot of law and order management since the army and the police had a huge shoot up. There was a coup, and uh, Dilly broke out in um, murder, arson, gang violence, protests, looting. The whole place had really um, turned to shit. So when I went over there, I was on the third rotation. We had when the East Timor situation blew up in 2006. I was on basic training. We got told that if we were going to 
2nd 1st or 1st Battalion that we'll be more than likely be going to East Timor which of course yeah it's exciting especially when you're 17 um, raring to go um, yeah we've been in East Timor for about three months this is my second deployment and really starting to to get a feel for the place especially the first time spending a, an extended amount of time in another country and really starting to understand the political situation and what was going on in that place so we were pretty busy we were out working in section sized uh, groups going out on patrols but operating as a platoon platoon being three sections of ten with a platoon commander and a sergeant so this is when I was in four platoon Bravo company so we got posted out to a patrol base out in Dili in the western side of Dili near the MSR or the main service route which ran from Dili uh, out towards the east so we were stationed at an old schoolhouse called Bacow sorry Bacora School Bacora School and um, Bacora School was we had half of the building for our platoon and during the daytime the other half of the platoon was for the kids because it was a, um, a kindergarten so during the day it was cool there was always kids running around um, they had the playground there we'd, we'd, we'd play games with them and kick the ball around and um, just hang out at this point in time during uh, Operation Gyro sorry Operation Kuru Task Group Gyro at this point in time the Timorese police hadn't really stood themselves back up again they were still recovering from or getting their shit together basically under the training and direction of uh, the UN police including our own New Zealand police so we were still out there uh, enforcing law and order and on our side of the area of operations the, uh, the New Zealand side things were pretty good especially compared to the other side of the ditch which was uh, the Australian side so our side was pretty good we didn't have too much trouble we had about as much trouble as most um, most towns do in New Zealand on a Friday night if you start to hang around at the bars of course you're gonna get um, fights and little little issues like that cause gangs having a go at each other and having a go at other people but things had really things were somewhat stable of course things would uh, would flare up though and on one such night of course um, just it had been a it had been a normal day I was coming around to about I think it was about five or six in the evening when our section commander said hey we're uh, we're on QRF which is quick reaction force so we had the vehicle we had the Pinsgar which is a quite a long wheelbase truck if you've never seen one before uh, you can see it in the back about well uncomfortably you can probably get about 80 years in the back of that we had the tops off because it was hot this was uh, in um, April no June so it was the dry season or the hot season whatever they call that in the uh, in East Timor so East Timor is just above Australia it's in the lower uh, the lower chain of the uh, the Indonesian islands so it was hot so we'd always have the top off and we usually do a night patrol 
drive around in the vehicles but in this case we're on quick reaction force so we were just to be ready to go at all times five minutes notice to move five minutes if the the balloon goes up you check on your gear your helmet your body armor your webbing you'd have your get would have our gas masks there because it was public order management so we'd be ready to respond to um to public disorder so we'd always have some tear gas ready and we'd have some riot shields and all of that kind of gear and sure enough wasn't that wasn't that common but sure enough this time we got told stand to there's there's some shit going down and it happened to be going down just up the road from where we were so our, our platoon base was on the on the main road just up the main road we heard a whole lot of yelling and screaming um, guys smashing power poles with uh, with metal pipes we could smell smoke burning sorry we could smell tires burning which is quite a unique smell if you haven't smelled that before smell of burning rubber and I think we had some of the locals coming up to our uh, our sentry position saying there's some there's some shit going down so we got stood up our section got stood up went to get on the vehicle we had a quick brief our section commander gave us a quick brief <coughs> and uh, said all right we'll do we'll go for our normal pre-patrol check and something that always happens is a radio check a comms check so we're all wearing our own radios called PRRs, personal radios. And I turned mine on and I got nothing. For some reason I changed my batteries, radio wasn't working. So the boss said, alright, fuck it, you stay on the back of the truck with the driver. The driver's got his headset on, you're going to stay in the back of that if we have to get off. So anyway tore off down the road and headed in towards all the commotion so we got into the truck driving through a bit of smoke heading up the main road and just we came across just guys all over the road so they had no intent of uh of backing down i mean that's the whole reason why they started all that was they wanted us to come down and they wanted to get into a bit of a a bit of a scrap with us so the sun was just starting to the sun was really starting to set now it's just starting to get a little bit darker we push we're just hammering up the road i'm standing on the back now i've got a portion of the deck folded down so i could stand on that since i had the one of the sections machine guns i had that on the roof of the truck so we keep pushing through drove through this crowd driving around them i should say around the barricade they'd put into the road and we pushed up past them and our commander's plan was we we're going to push past them head up the road up the mountain a wee bit when the, when uh, when it gets fully dark we're going to get off and we're going to sneak up behind them and, and try and arrest as many as we can so my role on all this i was to stay on the back of the truck to provide overwatch since i had night vision we all had night vision equipment I had the machine gun with the night vision sight on it. And the plan was for the section to shake out in front of the truck about 50 metres, shoulder to shoulder, walk down the road, and we're gonna they're gonna sneak up behind. I was in the I was on the back of the truck with their with their driver at the driver's seat with the vehicle switched off. 
and just rolling it down the hill behind us so that uh, we didn't create too much noise or we didn't give the game away. We also had the interpreter in the back of the truck as well. So as we, st as we as the boys stepped off, I was on the back of the truck just watching. No street lights. So it was uh, it was pitch black. Or there were some stars out. I think there was a full moon. So night vision uh, night vision works best when there's some ambient light around. It's working off the infrared spectrum. So night vision was pretty good. Started rolling down the hill. About five minutes into it because the guys were moving down the hill nice and slow we're in the truck rolling behind them probably about 60 meters apart when I saw someone come out of a bush about somewhere just in between us so about 25 30 meters in front someone came out of a because we're on the edge of the jungle and some uh, some old abandoned buildings one of them was that uh, namely the, the old the abandoned concrete factory just at the top of the road. So a guy came walking out of the concrete factory and walking up and behind the section. And I noticed him, I looked at him and thought, huh, oh yeah, it's just a, just a local coming out to probably listen to all of the commotion going on, maybe a half a k away up the road. And then he walked into the middle of the road and I could see that he was looking around. He looked a bit confused. And then I saw him turn side on and face. And I noticed that he was carrying a rifle. And I've always been into my guns. I've always been into firearms and recognition of them. Just a gun guy, interested in all that. But it was a very specific rifle. And as he turned side on, I saw the full profile of the rifle. And I recognized that. And I thought, that's strange. This is all within about a second. At first I thought, was it the interpreter? Why's the interpreter got a rifle? And then I realised the interpreter was actually sitting at my feet with his headphones on. So I looked back at this guy through the site and recognised that it wasn't in fact our interpreter or just any old local. It was someone that had wandered out of the buildings with a BM-1 battle rifle, which is very similar to a, a, um, one of the rifles used in Vietnam, the M14 very similar looking thing but it was within that second of recognizing that that wasn't a friend of ours and that person had a rifle I decided I needed to do something because the guys hadn't seen him none of them had turned around and noticed him yet so I shouted out to him para salai hal tiri which is Timorese for stop or I'll shoot he looked a bit startled he spun around looking looking for me. He couldn't see us because the truck wasn't turned on. We had no lights on. Pretty dark night. So he was looking around looking a little bit nervous. And he didn't move. My radio didn't work. So I remember bending down and yelling at the driver. Tell the guys there's someone with a fucking rifle behind them. To which the driver turned around and looked up at me and said, Oh, my radio doesn't work either. So... <laughs> Straight away I was thinking, well, I can't just open fire because this person is right in between me and the guys. So I continue through the rules of engagement. Rules of engagement state that you can't just shoot someone for no good reason, obviously. It's a matter of escalation. 
so declaring yourself making a declaration like stop or I'll fucking shoot you is usually the first part to that the second part to that is to action your weapon if not already done so and for us at the time we wouldn't patrol with weapons in the in the ready state so around in the chamber hammer cock back inside the rifle or the machine gun or whatever whatever you're talking about so I cocked the machine gun it's quite a loud machine gun to cock the the c9 the minimi um, big heavy springs in that lots of metallic clinking parts very very specific sound hearing a machine gun go into the action state I didn't notice but when I cocked the machine gun a scooter happened to come up behind us just a normal like a nifty 50 or whatever headlight with the bloody headlight on I didn't even notice him just went right past right in front of us between us between the truck and the guy with the rifle now the guys heard that the guys heard me cocking the gun talking to them later on they thought that I was cocking the machine gun at the scooter that went past they didn't pay any mind to it this guy with the rifle however he stood there for a second and was looking around and that's when I decided I need to do something right now I already had the the night vision sight on the machine gun it's got a ranger big old telescope looking thing look through the sight and the aiming mark the reticle on that thing was a red chevron so I put the chevron onto the guy's chest into the center of mass as we're taught to do took the safety off shouted it in one more time stop or I'll shoot the guy turned took about three steps running and he was gone I remember we proceeded on down the hill kept rolling forward the guys who did they were they were dismounted in front of us they got up they that uh they cut off the road and they started dropping down through the the thin uh the thin um vegetation to make a, the final approach on these guys that were making all the ruckus on the bridge this whole time i'm thinking holy shit it just, it just every second that passed dawned on me holy shit that was a guy with a gun we weren't expecting guys with guns We'd been told that they were around, but they'd be mostly out in the jungle. So seeing that was really just a big shock. Like, holy shit, this is this is for real. This isn't just uh, drunk teenagers beating the shit out of themselves. Um, this is a this is a, a dude with a, who's actually got a rifle. But he was gone. As we got further up the road, the guys got into it. We started hearing all of these bangs and popping, fireworks, uh, fireworks bombs and um, homemade grenade type things that were getting chucked around. I think. And uh, remember my two IC, it's a great dude. Um, I called him over to the truck, and he, he said, "Oh, what's up, man?" He was really casual. He was cool as a cucumber. That dude always. Um, he'd been in a lot of action himself. Um, so he said what's up and I said there's a guy with a fucking rifle that just ran back into the concrete factory and he was just so it was, wasn't phased by what I'd said at all he said oh yeah oh true I said no shit there's a guy just ran in that fucking building with a rifle and he started laughing he says oh well, we thought we were cocking uh, the machine gun at that scooter that went past I was like no 
There's a fucking dude with a rifle that just ran into that. He looked over there for a second. Of course there was nothing going on. Whoever that guy was, he knew that he was uh, he was being seen by someone that he couldn't see. And he took off. Why would you hang around if, uh, if you knew someone can see you but you can't see them? Fair enough. Anyway, as we continued through the um, through the job, crept the truck up closer to the bridge the whole time. I'm looking back up the road, thinking, "Fucking, I hope that guy comes back," because I really want to light him up now. But we had a whole lot of other shit developing. Myself and uh, one of the other guys who who, uh, who came back to get on the truck to help secure the rear. He come and join me, and I was telling him this whole situation, and he was thinking, "Holy shit!" Then we started to get a whiff of tear gas. This is when the night really got crazy. So tear gas. If you haven't smelt tear gas, and there's plenty of people listening who have. If you haven't smelt tear gas, it's the equivalent of pouring hand sanitizer directly into your eyes. That's just your eyes, and then your throat. It feels like getting a wire brush and just jamming that right down your throat and giving it a couple of good good scratches and then pouring sanitizer or vodka or something down that. Just a burning sensation throughout your lungs. It's not it's not deadly, it won't kill you, but it's still enough to make you really question what you're doing. We started to smell and taste that and me and the guy on the back of the truck, we started to have a bit of a laugh and go, holy shit, it's tear gas. Who's chucking tear gas around? Because we weren't up the front with all of the shit going on. We just started to get tear gas wafting down towards us. And it was about 20 or 30 seconds later. Our eyes were really starting to water and we were really starting to feel it. We are just going, fuck it, we better put our gas mask on. So we chucked the gas mask on and waited for the gas to clear. And then, uh, yeah, the gas cleared. So we took the masks off and our section commander and one of the other guys came up with a, with a guy that they'd detained. A guy that they'd chased down and caught. So he'd put up a bit of a fight. He'd, I believe he'd thrown a, a fireworks bomb at the guys. And then they managed to chase him down because he was drunk. He got away a few times, but then he'd just keep falling over and they caught him. So they had him, uh, they had him cuffed, put him into the back of the truck when he was just kicking and screaming, trying to get up, trying to get out of the truck. Not long after that, we uh, we moved them off down the road. We'd uh, we'd essentially dispersed the crowd, so it was back to back to camp. So we uh, we cruised down the road, saw a local um, UN police officer. He looked like Eddie Armin, you know, the last King of Scotland, big dude. Um, so we opened the truck, <laughs> threw this prisoner at him, and said, "Here you go." This guy, uh, yeah, big big scary looking dude. I think he was from Sudan or something. But anyway, we dropped him off. And then we went back to the platoon base, where we went to have a uh, went to have a debrief. Um, or what the section commander did. I told the boss and sergeant what happened. Not long after that, I got called in and asked, "Did you see someone with a fucking rifle?" I said, "Yeah." Are you sure? You're not just flapping. No, no, I definitely saw it. I described the whole situation and exactly what happened. And what happened next was just so bizarre because 
We got drilled so hard and so much about rules of engagement. Always follow the rules of engagement. If you don't follow the rules of engagement and you kill someone, you will probably go to prison. And fair enough. We aren't a war crimes nation. We aren't a war crimes army. Boys done things to, to protect ourselves and to protect other people, of course. So I got, I, got, I got questioned on that. It was, why, did, why didn't you just shoot him? I said, well, I went through my rules of engagement. I shouted at him. I cocked my weapon. I aimed it at him. And then he ran off. He took about three steps and he was gone. And one of the guys afterwards said, why didn't you just fucking shoot him? We would have had your back. You could have had a kill. You could have got a kill for the platoon. No one else in this company was going to get a going to get a kill. You you're the only one who's ever, who's had a chance and probably will. So that really stuck with me for quite a while. For quite a few days afterwards, I had someone suggest that I was a that I was a coward and didn't pull the trigger because I was scared. Someone else who suggested that you know maybe I maybe I had maybe they had doubts about me about my ability to to execute. And it wasn't until a few days later, and I was really thinking about it in hindsight, even at uh, 19, 19 years old, I remember thinking, hey, fuck it, I did the right thing. And it was a pretty uncomfortable space, especially being a 19-year-old guy, thinking, you know, I want to be this big tough dude, and wanting to to do my part and take another person off the off the earth who wants to harm other people. But at what cost? At what cost to myself and at what cost to, to everyone else around me? And that's something, that's one of the first moments I've ever had where I really did go lean in towards that, uncom- un, uh, that discomfort and just think to myself, did I do the right thing? And a lot of you listening have, done, have been in a situation, maybe not that like that, but something else along those lines where it's such a it's a huge sensory overload did I do the right thing in hindsight well you did do the right thing in hindsight it's the whole reason that you're still alive and the whole reason that you're here and if you could go back which you can't would you change it yeah I'm sure that we, we've all got things that we would change with our circumstances knowing what we know now but it's not worth it's not even worth the discussion because we can't do that what matters is what we do right here and right now if you have some forgiveness for someone or something forgive them if you can't you need to do something about that don't you but you're not going to figure out what to do if you keep ignoring it you're not going to figure out what you, what your next move is if you keep hiding it away. You're not cleaning up that mess by just shoveling it all into your drawers or shoving it all into your wardrobe or putting it into a dark room that you don't like to go into. You get rid of that shit by pulling it out into the open, into the air and confronting it and doing something about it, acknowledging it and taking some steps to make it right if it was your mistake. It's the same effect as 
blaming other people for your problems or for the circumstances that you find yourself in. The only reason that you're in the circumstances you're in is because you put yourself there. You put yourself into that moment. And you can either learn something from it or you can let it destroy you. That's why I'm a huge advocate for meditation and for doing things that change your perception or allow you to re-enter those emotional states and those places within your mind. And the more time you spend going into those places and being around those fears that are inside of your own head, the less potency that they really do have. Spending a bit of time, quite a bit of time doing that, you're going to start to understand those things a hell of a lot better and to be able to recognize a lot of the other behaviors that you've picked up in your life and not all bad ones either those good positive traits that you have about you as well as those ones that you might want to work on and change because at the end of the day it's all about you it is a selfish act because that's the most important thing to you and has been to us for hundreds of thousands of years it is about looking after ourselves so that's one of the probably one of the most um, intense moments of my army career and it, compared to other people I mean that again comparison is the death of joy isn't it you compare your story to that of someone else who's been in more excitement and more danger to you I mean, there are people who probably think that's a pretty crazy story and I think it's a I still think it's a crazy story but of course don't hold that up to your experiences every single person has a story every single person has an experience that you cannot comprehend something that might just be like eh, whatever to them might be something that completely blows your mind and taking the time to listen to other people and understand their perspectives and understand where they are coming from is what's really going to give you that ability to recognize things that are, that are within you as well and where I'm at right now with all of this sort of stuff I've worked through so much shit I've shoveled through so much shit that it's like there's actually not that much there really we've all got issues we've all got things we're always working on but there's a lot more good good about us a lot more really really uh, you know things that we can look at ourselves and go fuck you're pretty cool and that's one of the things I turned that event into that one in East Timor I turned that into an event of no you're, a, you're you did the right thing because you think with your you think with your brain you also think a lot with your heart too and to be able to turn a negative experience into a really positive one that's the fucking magic and that's what you are able to do it's what everyone's able to do it's not easy of course if it was easy everyone would be doing it it is difficult but of course it's worthwhile for you your friends your family and your legacy turning those negative events into maybe not a positive one but something where you've learned something and you have an understanding of it. And you only work through a couple of these things. You start working through the bigger events, the bigger things that have happened, and finding deeper understanding in that. 
conquering your own battle that's when everything else starts to make a lot more sense you stop worrying about all the frivolous shit that goes on you stop worrying about you're not looking for that anymore you're not looking for those fears anymore and when they do arise you look it in the face and you go okay all right well i'm I'm just afraid of this that's okay i'll do i'll do something about that that's why i love going into the cold water of course it fucking sucks because cold water sucks but when you're in those moments you're creating an entire new one those intense experiences do you want to spend your whole life being sedated not feeling anything being absolutely terrified of something that hasn't happened yet preparing your body for something that you don't want to actually happen spending some time in that place allows you to move that shit out and allows you to install some new software some new programming of who you actually want to be and where you want to go with this fucking life so none of this is new talk a lot of this i'm just speaking in uh, in I'm communicating in the way that i communicate so talking about my experiences and to wrap this up to bring it to an end this uh this yarn just think about i want you to think about your battle think about your moment that you didn't quite understand think about your people call them demons don't they but those demons and those experiences those things that you didn't enjoy those shit moments those shit times you're only going to get that demon out if you go and invite it facing that thing that ugly thing you don't want to fucking think about that fucking ugly place you don't want to go that version of you you don't ever want to see again that person who hurt you or that uh that accident that crippled you really going in towards that and bringing it out because that's the biggest battle you're ever going to face so just think about that what's your what's your demon what's your what's the thing that stopped you from living the best life that you can spend some time really thinking about that from a different perspective if you want to talk more about that of course i'm I'm here to talk but uh that wraps this up thanks for all the comments so far on 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 the podcast and for um yeah for really showing your support on it so um yeah that's me signing off thanks for listening